This morning we're looking at rebellion. Turn with me to Genesis chapter 3. Every person who has ever lived has felt and continues to feel the effects of the rebellion. A rebellion is found in Genesis 3. And there's a lot of questions that might fill your mind when you read the story. Questions like, where did the serpent come from? How did the serpent turn evil? Where did evil come from? Why is the serpent talking? Did Adam and Eve have a belly button? These are real questions that the story does not set out to answer. But what does it say? What does the story say? How does it answer some of life's toughest questions? Because it does. This is a historical event event that has changed the course of every person's life in this room. Every person who has ever lived has felt and continues to feel the effect of this tragic event. We're going to look at five things this morning. One, we're going to see this is a true story. Two, we're going to look at the terrible lie. Three, a tragic reality. Four, a deserved judgment. And five, a true cure. First, a true story. This is a true story communicated in a very unique way. Let's read it. Genesis chapter 3. Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, Did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, We may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, but God did say you must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden, and you must not touch it, or you will die. You will certainly, you will not certainly die, the serpent said to the woman. For God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate it. Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they realized they were naked, so they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man, Where are you? He answered, I heard you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. And he said, Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? The man said, The woman you put here with me. Well, she gave me some fruit from the tree, and I ate it. Then the Lord God said to the woman, What is this you have done? The woman said, The serpent deceived me, and I ate it. So the Lord God said to the serpent, Because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock and all wild animals. You will crawl on your belly, and you will eat dust all the days of your life. I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head, and you will strike his heel. To the woman, he said, I will make your pains in childbearing very severe. With painful labor, you will give birth to children. Your desire will be for your husband, and he will rule over you. To Adam, he said, because you listened to your wife and ate fruit from the tree about which I commanded you, you must not eat from it. Cursed is the ground because of you. Through painful toil, you will eat food from it all the days of your life. 
It will produce thorns and thistles for you, and you will eat the plants of the field. And by the sweat of your brow you will eat your food until you return to the ground, since from it you were taken. For dust you are, and to dust you will return. Adam named his wife Eve because she would become the mother of all the living. The Lord God made garments of skin for Adam and his wife and clothed them. And the Lord God said, The man has now become like one of us, knowing good and evil. He must not be allowed to reach out his hand and take also from the tree of life and eat and live forever. So the Lord God banished him from the Garden of Eden to work the ground from which he had been taken. After he drove the man out, he placed on the east side of the Garden of Eden cherubim and a flashing sword, flashing back and forth to guard the way to the tree of life. A true story communicated in a unique way. The story sets out to communicate something clear to us. There was a real Adam and a real Eve, a real temptation and a real fall or a real rebellion, which radically altered the course of human nature and the history of humankind. The Bible answers some of the most difficult questions with this account. And we'll get to some of those questions. This story was passed down for generations, written down most likely by Moses, and it it gives us big pieces and bright colors to work with, imagery that sticks. It's a story that once we hear it, we we can tell it. We're meant to remember it. We're meant to share it with others. Adam and Eve, they were created in a way that they were able to say no to sin and to the Satan's temptation to the deceiver, the adversary, the Satan. And they were placed in paradise. They walked with God. They knew unbroken fellowship with each other, untainted by sin and shame, pain and misunderstanding. A true story. It comes at us like the creation account in a very unique way. Second, we see a terrible lie. This lie that lives on in every human heart. Verse 1, we're introduced to the serpent, the Satan, the adversary. In Revelation 12, verse 9, it talks of that ancient serpent called the devil, or the Satan who leads the whole earth astray, the one who masquerades as an angel of light, 2 Corinthians 11, 14, the one who deceives and, according to Jesus, is the father of lies. He is created. He is limited in power. He is not an equal force to God. He is a rebel, and he is a liar. Genesis presents a smooth-talking, cunning, and deceitful serpent whose deceit begins with a question. Now, is, is this some sort of embodiment of the Satan? Is this a representation of the Satan? We don't really know. But here's how he comes at, at Adam and Eve. Did God really say... Did God really say? The serpent begins by questioning God's word. Of course he does. He's the adversary. He's the deceiver. He's the liar. He begins to attack what God has already commanded and already said. He's attempting to cast doubt on the authority of God's command. Did God really say? Did God say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? Now, Eve's response is partially true, but she gives her own rendition. She adds just a bit 
to what God has already said. He says, you must not eat. And she says, He's, we, we can't even touch it. But what should really seem strange to us is that she feels the liberty to engage the serpent in the first place. She should have confronted him with truth. No, God knows what's best for me, and I trust him. My creator, the one who walks with us, the one we commune with. Instead, she flirts with this distorted picture of God presented by the serpent. She begins to tweak God's word and question his goodness and his authority. Verse 4, the serpent goes on to say, you will not surely die. So he began by questioning God's word, and now he's contradicting God's word altogether. You will not surely die. He's basically accusing God of being a selfish, unloving liar who can't be trusted. You won't die. And what he says next is is partly true, but there's accusation behind it. Look at verse 5. For God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. You ever have someone ask a question like this, can you believe management would ask us to do that? They're only looking for one answer. They're looking for you to agree with them. Yeah, management, blah, 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 management's horrible. The serpent, the deceiver, the Satan, he's coming to them and he's challenged God's goodness. He's challenged God's word. He's now contradicting it and he's saying, you can't trust God. He's essentially saying, does God have your best interests at heart? I mean, really? You won't die. Does he really care for you? Does he really love you? Can you trust him? What if God is keeping something from you that you'd be better off having? Lies. Deceit. Maybe I won't die if I partake in what God told me not to. Maybe he's he's keeping me from enjoying something I'd be better off having. He's questioning God's character. This is the terrible lie. This is the terrible lie. God can't be trusted And you should live your life apart from him. You should live your life out from under his authority. He doesn't love you. He doesn't really care. Now this lie has been whispered into the ears of Adam and Eve. And sadly it's been whispered into our ears ever since. And it lives on in every human heart. The Satan would have us think that we're better off without God. He promises freedom that in the end is slavery. The knowledge of good and evil is the ability to declare what is good and what is evil. It's autonomy, it's self-rule, it's independence. It was a place that belonged to God alone. They were turning inward for a moral compass that can only be found in God. It's this idea, I I don't need God and I don't need anyone else telling me what to do. I can determine what's good and what's evil on my own, thank you very much. It's the awful attempt to become what we were never meant to be, our own God. And it's idolatry. Remember what we talked about a few weeks ago, created things that have been, uh, that have been in, put in the place of the creator. Well, what this is essentially doing is putting created things, ourselves, in the place of the creator. It's been a problem since the beginning. 
Third, we're seeing this tragic reality unfold before our eyes. Sin enslaves, it destroys. It's tragic. In verses 6 and 7, Adam and Eve believe the lie. And they decide God can't be trusted. Adam is right there. He's an active participant in this. He's complacently just sitting back as Eve is having this conversation with the serpent. And as she takes the fruit in hand, he fails to protect her. He fails to defend. He fails to discern. Truth be told, this scene is like watching a, a car crash unfold on YouTube. You, what? I don't want to watch that again. That's horrible. She ate it. He ate it. It's high treason. Sin and death entered our world. Sin is breaking God's command. Now we have to stop thinking that this is petty rule breaking or else we'll never understand the offense that it was and is to God. What happened that day is affecting you today and will continue to affect you until the day you take your last breath. Honestly, my vote is to take it out of the coloring books. Because it's like coloring a a crime scene that I committed. I participated in it. Now, before you start thinking, wait, wait, what's up with this? Adam and Eve messed this up for the rest of us. I've seen bumper stickers like that, you know. Um, If I'd been there, I would have done better. I would have chosen differently. Not true. Adam was the perfect, and Eve was the perfect representative for the human race. We humans are in the mess we're in because we put ourselves there. This is the account, Genesis 3 is the account, of the rebellion or the fall of the whole human race against God through the historic act of our first parents, our representatives. Who's to blame? We are to blame. It's a tragic reality. Sin and death entered our world. We lost our vision of God. We lost our true selves. We lost meaning and identity and purpose. We lost relationship with God, and we lost relationship with ourselves. And and now it's characterized by brokenness and loneliness and alienation. Verse 7, Adam and Eve realized they're naked. You know, it's one thing for your little child to run around the house naked before a bath. It's another thing if you got naked right here and started running around. (laughs) Nobody wants that. (laughs) But they were aware now of their nakedness. They were defenseless. They were weak. They were aware of their shame. And they hid. They hid from God. They tried to hide. It's the first time fear is expressed. They hid from the one who sees and knows everything. Now, mankind has been trying to hide from God ever since. We hide in vain. Again, it's like a child who's trying to hide. You know exactly where they are. And then when you find them, they, they keep their eyes closed, thinking that you won't see them because their eyes are closed. I see you. No, you don't. Hiding in vain. Verse 9, God says, where are you? He knew where they were. Where are you? 
God's unwilling to abandon. He's even there pursuing them. He's unwilling to abandon the object of his love and affection even when that very object has failed to love in return. Where are you? What have you done? You see, his children hadn't just broken one rule. They had broken his heart. Verses 11 through 13, we just see the blame and excuses and accusations just rolling out. Well, you know, the the woman that you gave me. The serpent. One blame after the next. Excuse after excuse. Accusation after accusation. Ultimately, they're turning it back on God. Number four, we see a deserved judgment unfold here in this story. From verse 14 on, we see the just judgment of a holy God. The rebellion runs deep. The result of mankind's rebellion against God leads to a lot of things. And this is where this story helps us make sense of the brokenness of our world. Christians have an answer. How did we get so broken? How did we get so messed up? We rebelled. And from that day when when, uh, sin entered the scene and death You have sickness, you have war, you have poverty, you have racism, you have injustices of all kinds, terrorism, death. We live in a sin-sick world. It's where we live. We live in a broken world. It's stained. Relationships are cursed. The ground is cursed. Creation is unraveling. And Adam and Eve were removed from God's presence. They were banished because he is holy. He can't tolerate sin. He can't allow it to go unpunished. They were corrupted in their nature. The problem is our nature. It's our heart. There's something wrong with us and broken with the world, and we all know it. We experience pain and grief and suffering and death. We know something's wrong. We see the crime and injustice, the hunger. We experience the loss. We know something's wrong. And people ask, Why would God, a good God, allow this to happen? I come right alongside them and I say, man, this is hard. This is so messed up. But Christianity and the Bible, well, we have an answer for how we got so messed up, how we got so broken. And do you know what? We serve a God who refused to leave us in that state. He decided to do something about our brokenness. He actually decided to enter the brokenness to bear our shame it's a mortal wound it's a terminal prognosis we're fatally flawed there's something wrong Genesis 3 tells us how we got so messed up but it also gives us flickers of grace and hope There are whispers of God's rescue plan. What's the solution? We are desperately in need of reconciliation with God. So when we understand the story of the fall, the story of our rebellion, then we understand why the message of Christianity is actually good news. Uh, You know, I'm sitting there reading the Gospel of Mark with somebody months ago, and they were brand new to the Bible, had never read a book of the Bible before didn't know what words that maybe you might think everyone should understand or know, didn't know what the words meant. 
And I love sitting with people who have never read the Bible, just walking them through. It's so fun seeing it through their eyes, coming alongside. But here's, here's the thing. People don't know why the gospel is good news if they don't first understand how broken and messed up we are and in need of rescue. And so it's important to, to, to really break down and, and explain what sin is and that we all experience it. Well, finally, this leads to a true cure that Jesus conquers and he restores. Now, verse 15 is a hint. It's that whisper of a coming redeemer. And uh, it's important for us to see it. Let's look at verse 15. Even as God is, is laying down uh, a curse and bringing punishment because of what was uh, done, he says this, verse 15, and I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head and you will strike his heel. Uh, many have said that this is the first announcement of the gospel. And you say, where's the gospel? Where's the good news in this verse? It's a promise that the woman's seed will crush the serpent's head. Do you remember Mel Gibson's The Passion of Christ? If, I don't know whether you're a fan of Mel Gibson or not. The, the Passion of Christ came out. And the opening scene is my favorite. It's just... Uh, they're in the garden before his arrest, uh, and it starts with the slithering snake. And it's, it kind of startles you because the opening scene is just a heel coming down on the snake's head. And it's Jesus' heel. And I'm like, that is sweet. <laughs> that is Genesis 3.15. The seed of the woman crushes the serpent's head. Now, he would strike his heel, representing his death but he would crush his head. We have this whisper of a rescue plan. Adam and Eve were kicked out of the garden, banished, kept from the tree of life, protected from living forever in this state of rebellion and brokenness. And, interestingly, they're clothed by God himself. The first sacrifice that we know of involves God covering them covering their shame, covering their nakedness. He does for them what they can't do for themselves. Then he puts cherubim uh, to guard Eden. And later, if you know the story of Scripture or when you become more familiar with it, God would instruct Moses to create cherubim of gold over the Ark of the Covenant, which would hold the law of God. So the Word of God, God's Word is being guarded by these cherubim these angelic beings. And then we'll find uh, the cherubim embroidered in the curtain that guards the holy place of the tabernacle. So in the story, as Israel is wandering in the desert, they set up this tabernacle that God had instructed Moses and the children of Israel to establish and, and ex to express worship and sacrifice to the Lord. But there's this holy of holy places that, that a priest could only go but once a year and after sacrifice. And that's where the Ark of the Covenant was kept, God's word guarded by the cherubim. But on the, the tapestry, on the, 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 the curtain, there is this em embroidered, beautiful picture of cherubim guarding the way of God's presence. A miniature Eden. The story is being told again and again and again. Many years later, the seed of the woman 
Jesus, the Word made flesh, God's very presence, would die in our place. And do you know what would happen to that curtain? It would be torn in two. The curtain that was then put in the temple, again representing, you can't go beyond this space or you'll be struck down. You've been banished from God's presence. After Jesus' death, that curtain was torn in two. Matthew tells us about it. Hebrews celebrates it. Why? What's it, what's it telling us? Access. Full access now. The cherubim's removed. God created you and I to be in relationship with him. A relationship characterized by love and trust. But the Satan still wants to put doubt in your heart and mine. Weaken our trust in God's word. Maybe you're hiding this morning. Maybe you've been hiding from God and you've been trying to hide like a child, keeping your eyes closed. He sees you. He knows exactly where you are. No more hiding. No more shaking your fist. Bow your heart to the Lord. We can trust God. We can trust his word and his character. Why? He has refused to abandon us. And he's proven that through his son, Jesus. Jesus did what Adam failed to do. He obeyed completely and fully. He didn't cave in when tempted. He trusted the Father completely. He faced the judgment for our sin that we deserve. And he's gone the distance. Listen, Jesus has become our new representative. Do you remember what we talked about, that Adam and Eve were the perfect representative for us? That they represented us. Jesus is referred to as that Adam, the second Adam, our new representative. Jesus has gone before us. John, the apostle, says this in 1 John 3, 8. The reason the Son of God, the reason Jesus appeared was to destroy the devil's work. To destroy the devil's work. Ephesians reminds us, and it celebrates Genesis 3, 15, And it was something the church had to shout out quite a bit. Uh, Not Ephesians, Romans 16, 20. The God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. Now listen. The God of peace will soon crush Satan. Now, Satan's work, I mean, when Jesus died and resurrected, it's a guarantee. The enemy's defeated. But we still experience the brokenness of life. What's happening? Jesus is returning. And so this celebration that though the serpent's head has been crushed through the death and resurrection of Jesus, we know one day, one day, oh, that death will be completely eradicated. Why? Because what's been put in motion through the death and resurrection of Jesus is a guarantee of what's to come. And that serpent will be under our feet. The God of peace will soon crush Satan underneath our feet. That's something to celebrate. Now, each one of us are heading toward the inevitable and final experience of death, the end result of our sin and rebellion. But, listen, Jesus entered first and came out victorious. His victory is ours. And each one of us have been born broken with this mortal wound, a sin sickness. But Jesus was born whole obeying the Father and laying down his life so that in him we could know healing and wholeness and reconciliation. Each one of us experiences the brokenness every day of this rebellion. But Jesus is the cure. Jesus reverses the curse. He lifts the bondage to sin. He enables us to follow him. 
We're going to learn more about this next week when we look at the word rescue. Rebellion. A historic event told in a unique way. It's sobering. It's hard to read. But there's these whispers, little flickers of grace and hope. God's so good, even in the midst of human rebellion. Church, we know how we got so broken. And God hasn't left us there. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for Genesis 3. This is an important part of the story. If we don't understand this part, we truly won't understand the beauty and glory of the gospel. Oh, help us. There's still a lot of questions that we have, and that's okay. But thank you for what this story does address. And help us, Lord, to be confident to share this story with others. You've made it clear how we got so broken. But God, I thank you that you've not left us there. Amen.